And Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Watch out that no one deceives you, because multitudes will come proclaiming Jesus is Christ, and will deceive multitudes. So there's going to be, in the last times, multitudes of preachers preaching deceptive doctrine. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Isn't that powerful? If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, if it is hard for those that have turned to Jesus Christ to get saved, I always say, why does it say is it hard for them? Why is that hard? I reckon it's going to be the most difficult thing for Jesus is the judgment of his people, or at least those that profess to be his people. Because he's going to have to cast many of them away. And so we don't want to get into this false sense of security thinking that we just saved because I made an old, I came up and responded to an older call 20 years ago. You don't want to get in this false insecurity in believing that you're saved just because you read the Bible every now and then. You don't want to get into this false sense of security in believing that you're saved just because you say Jesus is Christ. Satan can say that. Doesn't make him Christian. Doesn't make him Christian. And you know, you can say it at one point of your life and then you can deny it at another point in your life too. And the Bible speaks about these people. And we're going to look at that today because it's important we understand this. It's important that we run the race and that we don't pull out. We don't give up. Because the crown goes to the victor. The crown goes to the one that wins the race. And in the sense, you run against yourself. You're running, you, but you have to get to the finish line. You can't say you, you've run a marathon if you pull out at the halfway point. You've got to go all the way because Jesus is not going to accept it if you've given up on Christ and then you get before him on judgment day and he, they say, well, I, I was a Christian. Don't you remember Jesus? I was a Christian back when I was, you know, between the ages of 18 and, and 28. I was a Christian. Don't you remember that? So, yeah, I do remember that. But what happened then? You know, it's like me you know, married to my wife and I'm, I'm faithful to her and I say, oh, I was faithful between those years, darling, but I just I got unfaithful. No, you've got to be faithful to the end. Amen? You've got to be faithful to the end or else you can't say you're married. Amen? Now, this morning I was, I was planning to actually... Um, have a video going. There was a, a certain video I was going to sh screen today. But I got up in the morning in, in prayer and I just really felt strong that I had to um, preach this message. And so the whole, all the scriptures and everything God wanted me to do came to me this morning. So um, I think, yeah, hopefully it'll, be, it'll bless you. I'm uh, very concerned for people's salvation. I'm very, very concerned that we don't just sit in church all our lives. Um, and go to hell. I'm more concerned that people sit in church all their lives and go to heaven. Yeah. 
Amen. And who knows that you can go to church your whole life and not find Jesus? You know. So uh, I'm I'm very very passionate about getting the message of salvation as clear as crystal. Um, because if we mess the message of salvation up, and the the reason I bring this up is because I've been watching different ministers and what they preach is absolutely shocking. What they preach about salvation. They just think that, and I, and I know anyone who's been in this church a while will know I'm passionate about this. They just think that salvation or grace is a cover-all. And um, so I want to bring to you a message today, and it's very timely in the sense it's related to end times. Um, and I'm going to show you some scriptures. Turn in your Bibles to Jude. Jude, and go to uh, verse 3. There's only one chapter, so it's not one verse 3, it's just verse 3. It says in Jude, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share. See, he's eager to write about the salvation. And you know, this is, an, and I've said this many times, this is our boast. This is the boast of Christianity that we get saved by Christ. But then Christ says in Matthew 7.21, that many are going to come before him and not get saved. They, they don't do the will of God. So many, many and multitudes of Christian people that call themselves professing Christians will not get saved because they don't know Jesus Christ. And they didn't do his will. And this is a, a, scary, a scary scripture because you don't want to be a Christian your whole life and not get into heaven. So there is an obligation, and it's not to the sinful nature, but the obligation is to what? To live according to the Spirit. It's an obligation. It's the obligation of every Christian to live according to the Spirit and not to live according to the flesh. And it says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith. To contend for it, to work hard at it, to live it, it with all your might, to wrestle with the faith, to contend for the uh, and sorry, contend for the faith, and that was once for, for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men, whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. This is not among. Maybe that church, but among all the Christian churches. Certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change, listen to this, the grace. They change the meaning of grace. Who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality. And deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Not deny him in the sense of that they still can say Jesus is Lord. But they deny the salvation that comes by grace. They change the meaning of grace. They turn it into license for immorality. Now, is this getting taught today? Who knows? This is the most sickened the church has ever been in the history of the church. Christians go and meeting in pubs, getting drunk together, living these crazy lives 
sinful lives and believe that they're covered by grace. I can't lose my salvation because I'm once saved, always saved. Lies, lies, lies that just keep on coming at us. And they're thrown at us. And, and if you get into a church like that and it teaches that way, you won't feel any conviction in sin. You won't feel conviction because you're comforted in your sin. You know what I'm saying? But we've got to be really, really careful that we live the Christian life the way the Lord wills us to live it. Because he says only those who do the will of God will get into the kingdom of God. So I want to show you more scriptures than just that one. Let's go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Who knows what the book of Matthew 24 is all about? Or the chapter of Matthew 24 is all about. It's an end times verses. There's also Matthew 10, which is very interesting to look at as well. Matthew 24, verse 4. And Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. Watch out that no one deceives you because multitudes will come proclaiming Jesus is Christ and will deceive multitudes. So there's going to be in the last times multitudes of preachers preaching deceptive doctrine. When you look from the 1800s onwards, 1800s was the introduction of cults. Massive, massive cults like Jehovah Witnesses and Christadelphianism and all this, all these cults that rose up in those days. Even Seventh-day Adventists came out there. And I'm not saying in some ways the Seventh-day Adventists have got some things right, but they've got a lot of things wrong. You've got to be careful. Because they say that when you die and you're not in Christ, you, you just that's it, it's called annihilation. But the Bible clearly says that hell is a place of torment. So to believe it's annihilation, you have to just say, well, Jesus wasn't didn't mean torment, <laughs> didn't mean fire and brimstone, but doesn't that what the scriptures say? So they have to deny these things that Jesus says. And then, and then as we go through now, we're getting, we've got the uh, emergent church. Who knows about the emergent church? If you don't know what that is, it's taken the world by storm in the West, denying scripture as authoritative would rather believe their own thoughts and say, these are authoritative. My thinking is more authoritative than this. Don't listen to my thoughts. Listen to this. I mean, the word of God is true, double-edged, has power. And these guys come along and deny it. Oh, no, no, no. That's not, that's not, that's not total truth. You can't take it completely word for word. But listen to what I've got to say. And they go and teach a whole bunch of false doctrines. So there's a rise in deceptive doctrines all over the planet. And it's very, very dangerous because Jesus says multitudes will come before him and be kicked out of heaven. Will not get into heaven. Will not get past the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat, they'll stand there and they'll get cast in the eternal abyss. They will never see the light of day again. Destroyed forever. Matthew 24, verse 10. It says this. At that time, this is the time of the end, many 
will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. We're living in this day. We're living in a day when this is taking place. False prophets are rising. False teachers claiming Jesus is the Christ. They're rising up and masses of people are falling prey to them. Now what we've got in the evangelical circles, we've got these mega churches that are introducing these destructive heresies as well called hypergrace. Who's heard of hypergrace? And I've taught about this. And men, and I'll, I'll name them. I'll name the names so you know who's doing it. Joseph Prince is out there putting his, you know, spreading his poison in mega churches. Thousands, tens of thousands of Christians. Wherever he preaches, he's got these massive audiences, and they're all, you know, amening everything he says because they don't have enough knowledge of the scriptures to be able to discern. And you know, I was just saying yesterday to, to uh, a couple of family members, I was, they were talking, asking about the church. And um, of course the question comes up, how do you know you're on the right path? You know what I mean? That's when you've got to start thinking. You know, I'm starting to think, myself, am I on the right path? You know, am I a false prophet? Am I a deceiver? And then I thought, well, what did God make me do through the early part of my ministry? He caused me to study every religion. And I, I didn't study every religion, every major religion. So I went through Islam. I studied Islam and I did sermons on them. They're un called Uncovering Religion. You can pick them up as podcasts for free on the, on the net. Our most popular sermon series is Uncovering Religion. And I pre preached on Islam and I, I found out, and I did these few things. I found out the origin, founders, the kind of people they were, the founders of that, of that religion, and their basic teachings, the principles of their teachings. So I went through um, Islam, I went through uh, Hinduism, I went through Baha'ism, I went through uh, Buddhism, I haven't said Buddhism, and, and I went through uh, uh, quite a few world religions. Then I went through the cults, I went through Jehovah Witnesses, I went through Christian Delphians, I went through, um, oh, my mind's going blank, Seventh-day Adventism and... and Mormonism, did Mormons as well. And then I'm, uh, I've, over the years I've also done other things. I've done the New Age, and New Age is a broad one. It's more like Hinduism repackaged, you know, and, um, and a whole range of them. And I've just been studying this stuff. And then we've got Joe, uh, Joe Schimmel, who's our partner church, and he teaches on the deception that's coming through the rock music, the deception that's coming through the movie industry. And between us all... Between all that Joe does in uncovering deception and all that we've done in uncovering deception, we get a pretty clear look, what is the true gospel? And we also done Catholicism as well. And as, uh, uh, our son John did a, a very interesting teaching on Catholicism many, many years ago as well. And we've done, um, uh, like I've also talked a bit about the Greek Orthodox, which is uh, also a deceptive, or not just the Greek Orthodox, the Orthodox in general, is also deceptive in its teaching. Um, and so when you, you, you survey all of that, you survey the blackest elements of all of that, you know, if you put a diamond in front of black, that's the way they, uh, you see the beauty of the diamond, you know what I mean? So we can see the beauty of the gospel because of the backdrop of darkness. But if you don't study the darkness, 
If you don't know what your enemy's up to, how the enemy is infiltrating into all, you know, using scripture for their own, for his own purposes, twisting the meanings of scripture, then we we get very lost, and you could fall under deception. And that's why we teach what we do. So we've got really interesting doctrines here, like they fly in the face of everything else out there. And when I say interesting, you know, our salvational doctrine is not that once saved, always saved. It's that Jesus gets you saved, you get under grace, and then you've got to live under grace. Amen? Because he's called us to live a holy life. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, because it is written, be holy because I am holy. So it's very, very clear. So I'm going to show you today this. But Matthew 24, 10 to 14, and 14, it says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. I want to be part of that. Haven't I? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. The whole world as a testimony and then the end will come. And also, if you look into that, those that preach the true gospel will be heavily persecuted in the last days. Many may be, you know, uh, killed for preaching the truth. 1 Peter, let's turn to 1 Peter. Who's receiving this today? Yes, yes. Oh, good. 1, 1 Peter 4, verse 17. And it says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Isn't that powerful? If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, if it is hard for those that have turned to Jesus Christ to get saved, I always say, why does it say is it hard for them? Why is that hard? I reckon it's going to be the most difficult thing for Jesus is the judgment of his people, or at least those that profess to be his people. Because he's going to have to cast many of them away. And so we don't want to get into this false sense of security thinking that we're just saved because I, made an, I came up and responded to an older call 20 years ago. You don't want to get in this false insecurity in believing that you're saved just because you read the Bible every now and then. You don't want to get into this false sense of security in believing that you're saved just because you say Jesus is Christ. Satan can say that. Doesn't make him Christian. Doesn't make him Christian. And you know you can say it at one point of your life and then you can deny it at another point in your life too. And the Bible speaks about these people. And we're going to look at that today because it's important we understand this. It's important that we run the race and that we don't pull out. We don't give up. Because the crown goes to the victor. The crown goes to the one that wins the race. And in the sense, you run against yourself. You're running, but you have to get to the finish line. You can't say you've run a marathon if you pull out at the halfway point. 
You've got to go all the way because Jesus is not going to accept it if you've given up on Christ and then you get before him on judgment day and he, they say, well, I, I was a Christian. Don't you remember Jesus? I was a Christian back when I was, you know, between the ages of 18 and, and 28. I was a Christian. Don't you remember that? So, yeah, I do remember that. But what happened then? You know, it's like me, you know, married to my wife and I'm, I'm faithful to her. And I say, I was faithful between those years, darling, but I just I got unfaithful. No, you've got to be faithful to the end. Amen. Amen. You've got to be faithful to the end or else you can't say you're married. Amen. And God is faithful and he will enable us and he will not tempt us beyond what we can bear as we were reading this morning. He won't tempt us beyond, beyond what we can bear. But he will test his people what kind of metal are they made of. You know, who knows the Lord tests us. And it, what, why does he test us? To refine us, to strengthen us, to purify us, to make us a holy people, a holy remnant. So that we can shine before men. That's what it's for. So he tests us. But some people get it all wrong because what they hear in church doesn't line up with the God that tests his people. It doesn't line up with a God that puts his people through trials. Allows them to go through tough times. So when they get before, you know, when they go through something and it gets really hard, they say, where's God? What kind of a God is this? I thought he was a God of love because my pastor's telling me he's a God of love. And he won't, he'll, you know, carry you through this life and stuff. But how, how come he's allowed this? We, you know, we, we know people even in this church that think like that. They blame God for all their woes, you know. But that's where we've got to find God, isn't it? That's where we've got to dig deep in our faith. So John 15, verse 1. Let's turn there. Now I know why God wanted me to preach this this morning. John 15, verse 1. And this is a very enlightening passage of scripture. It debunks once saved, always saved. Clearly, you'll see it. And I've taught it before, but there's people in the church that haven't heard me preach on it, so I'm going to preach it again. And guess what? I've got to keep preaching on this for the rest of my days. You know? Because I don't want to be preaching and then get to heaven and, or get to the judgment and then everybody that I preach to doesn't get in the kingdom. Wouldn't that be terrible? What a waste of a, a ministry. What a waste of a life. If you used subtle wording and you were sensitive to people to the point that you don't want to say anything that's going to scare them or offend them. You know, but Jesus wasn't like that, was he? He told the Pharisees what they were, a bunch of hypocrites. He just told them straight. Jesus was tough. Don't, get, don't think, because some of the depictions of Jesus in some of the movies, and there was this mild man, mild man and man just walked around, and some of it is so depressing to watch some of those Jesus movies. I don't watch them. Oh, you're so depressed. I'm thinking, what are they all sitting around moping for? And Jesus talking so calm. No, Jesus was power. Power. You know, you think of the best preacher in the world, and he doesn't compare to Jesus. He's riveting to be around. The, the disciples would have been filled with joy in his presence. So it says here in John 15, 1, it says, I am the true vine, 
This is Jesus speaking. He calls himself the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he trims clean. So he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. Now, we're the branches. He's the vine. We're the branches. He cuts off branches that bears no fruit. What does that mean? It's just, just there. It's calling his people to bear fruit. Because if you don't bear fruit, Jesus will say, let me have another year or two with them. I'll dig around and, you know, and fertilize it and water it and look after it. And then if it doesn't bear fruit, we'll cut it down. You know, that one, there's another parable that speaks like that. So what it's saying is if, that his people must bear fruit. While every branch that does not bear fruit, he trims clean so that it will be even more fruitful. So um, he will trim clean. So he gives them an opportunity. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So when you receive the word, you're clean. Amen? You're clean. And when, you've repent, when you repent, ask God for forgiveness, and you, you, you allow him to wash you clean, you're clean. You're no longer sinful in his eyes. And then he adds this, remain in me. Remain in me. The best analogy I can give you, and I always use it, is you marry you're married to Christ, remain in that marriage. Remain married. And I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I am him, he will bear much fruit. He'll bear much fruit if you remain in the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. That completely debunks once saved, always saved, right there. You've got to remain in Christ. So to be in Christ, to remain in him, you must be a believer. You can't be an unbeliever to remain in him. You must be a believer and you've got to remain in him. But if you don't remain in him, that means you now say, I don't want to be part of this marriage. I want out. I want a divorce. It then says you'll be picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. What's that referencing? Hell. So if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you according to his will. Because if you are in him, you will ask according to his will. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. You must bear fruit and show yourselves to be his disciples. These are important words. Amen. These are life eternal words that the church en masse has messed up. And that's why I feel this strong call that I've got to keep going over this ground from time to time. Because we've got to have it very clear. Because when you meet someone and they say they're Christian, you've got to think, well... Let's find out. Are you really saved? You know? Because if your heart is for people and your heart is to see them saved, then you want to know that they're following Christ the way He expects you to, not the way their pastor has told them. So we've got to be careful of this. Let's go to Hebrews 6.4. Who knows? This verse, Hebrews 6.4, is probably... One of the most frightening verses in all the scriptures. Jenny, you thought 
the book of Revelation was scary to read through. Now you got one coming. All right. Who knows this scripture? Yeah. This one's good, good to memorize. Get it in your memory and live by it. It is impossible. It is impossible. Now, get those words. Now, God's saying this through, I believe it's Paul, but the writer of the Hebrews. God is saying it through the writer of the Hebrews. It is impossible. Whether you can say what's impossible with man is possible with God, I don't know if, if that will actually apply here. So I'm not going to bring a new doctrine in here. Maybe that's what the once saved, always saved people will bring in. Hang on, we've got a loophole. It's not cut and dried anymore. But I'm not bringing that in because the scripture just says, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened. What does that mean? Once, once understood it. Once understood. Who have tasted their heavenly gift, tasted it. Who have shared in the Holy Spirit. Now, if you have the Holy Spirit, you're saved. Amen. If you... God wouldn't give the Holy Spirit to an unsaved person. He gives one the Holy Spirit to a saved person. So, to, for, who have tasted the Holy, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, because we all share in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? One Holy Spirit in us all. So that's our unity in that. Who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God? So they've tasted the Word of God. They tasted the Scriptures. And the powers of the coming age, they've experienced the miraculous powers, they've seen the power of prayer work in their life. If they fall away, so there is the word, that you can fall away. You can fall away to be brought back to repentance. It's impossible for someone who's been a Christian and lived according to as a Christian lives, if they fall away, the scriptures say, I don't say it, these are not my words. These are the words of Scripture. It is impossible for them to be brought back to repentance. That means repentance is not possible anymore. Now, what, what is he talking about there? What is that falling away? Because we can have backs. Who, who knows that you can backslide as a Christian, right? I've, I've backslid. But I've never stopped believing Jesus is Lord. I've never stopped confessing that he's the Christ. But there's people around that when they've come to Jesus, however they've come, they've lived for Jesus, they follow Jesus, they love Jesus, they love the Word, and, and, and so on. And then what happens is they get to the point where they get really disillusioned and something happens in their heart, they change. And they say to themselves, I don't want anything to do with that church or the Christ of that church. And they completely cut themselves off. Thank God that if we've ever backslidden, that our hearts and our minds never got to that point where we cut off our love for God. Amen? So that's what it has to be. It has to be a complete cut off. I believe in doing that, you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, the unforgivable sin. I believe that's where it's at. So people who think they may have blasphemed the Holy Spirit as a Christian, you can't. It's impossible. Because the Holy Spirit is in you and you can't. Um, you can only do it by complete denial and hatred towards God and all those things. And I've said this story uh, many times because I know someone who was a passionate Christian, lived a passionate life in Christ. And the last time I saw him, when I told him that Jesus is still on a throne, he said, whatever 
You know, whatever turns you on, mate. But I don't believe that garbage anymore. I don't want anything to do with that. I was like, really? So it's, these are important. These are important things because our salvation depends on us having this clear in our mind. It's impossible to be brought back to repentance because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. By, by being like that. Let's go to 2 Peter 2.20. 2 Peter 2.20. And it says, If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, and then are again entangled in the world, in it, and overcome, that's the word, overcome. Because you can sort of get entangled in the world again as a Christian, but you don't get overcome, or you shouldn't get overcome. But if a Christian gets entangled in the world and gets overcome, that means they completely hand themselves over to that. They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness not to have known the way that Christ expects us to live, not to know this truth, than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred commandment that was passed on to them. And of them the Proverbs are true, a dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. Of those Christians who once were and they return back to the world after accepting Jesus as Lord and Saviour and living for Him, they're the equivalent of a dog that goes back to its vomit. Who's ever owned dogs? Yeah? Who's ever seen a dog do that? It's disgusting, isn't it? It's like, you go up, what are you doing? Get, and you're pulling the thing away. It's horrible to witness. And that's, that's, the, that's the graphic nature of what, what Jesus is saying here. A dog, you, you, they're no better than dogs that do that. They go back to the wallowing in the mud. They go back to the world. They go back and immerse themselves back in all that and they don't want anything to do with the church anymore or Christ. And you know what? We're at an epidemic because we, I believe we're at the, near the very end of the age. Who believes that? That... With world affairs, things are heating up, and we're at, we're at a very close time. Well, we're a lot closer than Paul was, right? We've got to be at least two thousand years onwards. We're very close to the end of the age, and this is the sad thing about this time: is a lot of Christians are getting under these false teachers and are believing what they're saying, and are falling, and are falling, and Jesus says that there's going to be this great apostasy in the last days where the love of most will grow cold and that men will betray and hate each other and that many will turn away from the faith. Multitudes won't be Christian. And I said this a few weeks ago, when someone in those days says, I'm a Christian, you can be guaranteed they're the real article because it'll be outlawed to be a Christian. We can't see this happening right now in Adelaide. Not yet, but you can feel it coming. The progression is coming, isn't it? Where they can get to a point where the, the mass 
uh, mindset of the, and the opinion of the masses, most of them, is we don't want Christianity anymore. You know, how many times I, I receive emails and, and, uh, and comments on my YouTube videos and people are saying, I just wish Christianity was completely stamped out. How can you go around, you know, propagating uh, this sort of stuff, telling people these lies, you know, making me feel like I'm, you know, I'm a deceiver. But these are atheists, and the growing consensus among people is that they would rather not have a church in the world. They won't do it to Islam, though. No? No. <laughs> Islam will be able to run along merrily because they're scared of Islam. But it's the Christians, the, the ones that are supposed to turn the other cheek. That's the ones that they want to push out. And it's coming. And Jesus says it will happen. So don't be surprised when it, when it takes place. But shouldn't this be the message of the church now? Shouldn't this be where the church is heading in, in preparing Christians for that day so that we don't have this uh, apostasy take place? We don't have this massive falling away of Christians the world over? 2 Peter 2.20, have I done that one? 2.20? 2 Peter 1. So go back to chapter 1 and go to verse 2. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in, what does it say there? In the divine nature. So we are these promises there so that we can participate in the divine nature. So you've got to ask yourself, do you have a divine nature? Yes, you do. The Holy Spirit is, is in you. And he's given you a heart to know him. You have a divine nature and you participate in it. And through that, you escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So if evil, evil desires still come up, we've got, to, we've got to deal with it in prayer. We've got to say, Lord, help me overcome this sinful nature. Help me to overcome these sinful desires that well up in me and cause me to want to do things that I know I shouldn't be doing. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. So this is here's our obligation. These are the things we are to do as Christians. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. You need knowledge to add to your goodness and to knowledge self-control. Who knows we need more self-control? Yeah. And to self-control, perseverance. We've got to persevere. We've got to hold on. We've got to hold on in the face of all opposition. We've got to hold on to the end. And perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, so we, it should be increasing all the time, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. So it will keep you fruitful, in other words, so that you will bear fruit in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he is being cleansed from his past sins. So if you don't have these qualities increasing in measure... You forget that you've been cleansed from your past sins. So this is this is the problem in the in the church today: is people get cleansed from their past sins, they accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and there's this great rejoicing, and then it's not long before they slip back into all their old ways. 
and they, they're no different from when they were unsaved. They haven't changed. Nothing's changed. Our language should change, shouldn't it? Yes. When you become Christian, you shouldn't be swearing anymore. There should be a, a, a lot of things. Now, we have to deal with all these things because there's lots of things we have to deal with. I've got to deal with things all the time. Am I the only one here? No. I'm pretty sure we all have to deal with things, some of us less than others. God's made me a very passionate person, so sometimes I, um, you know, I can go the wrong direction. My kids, they, they disagree with me over there. They don't disagree. Um, but who knows that uh, you need the Holy Spirit to really take a hold of you. And you've got to keep on pressing in and saying, Lord, help me to deal with this, help me to deal with this. And there's always things that I'm, I'm putting to the Lord. I'm saying, can you help this part of my life? Because there's a, a this certain area, I'm not going to tell you. Um, I don't like announcing these sorts of things up on, from the pulpit, but there's things that I have to deal with. And I'm saying all the time, Lord, help me to deal with this, help me to deal with this, help me to deal with this. Do a miracle in me. Change me so that I can be more like you. More like you. So that was 2 Peter 1, 2 to 11. Go to 1 John. You know, the book of 1 John is one of those books that I think every Christian on the planet should read and reread and reread and reread and reread until you get it. It's got to be understood. It's got to be clear in your mind. I don't know how many times I've read this book, but every time I read it, it impacts me. It's so important, this book. 1 John 1, verse 8. It says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Isn't that true? But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim to have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and the Word has no place in our lives. So we have to acknowledge that we sin. And you know what? You could just about do it until the day you die. Because there is no one righteous. Now you can be purified by Christ. You can get closer and closer to Christ. Closer and closer. You can clean up all so many things. But there will always be something else he's dealing with you on. Amen. Who knows that? You can be a Christian for 20 years, 30 years. And there's always going to be more. There's always more. Go to 1 John 2 verses 1 which is just the next carry on from that. My dear children, I write this to you. He must have been very old when he was writing this because he's calling everyone his dear children. <laughs> My dear children, I, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence. Now, get these words. He's writing this to us so that we don't sin. But if we do sin... We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ. Isn't that glorious? When you sin, you just, Lord, Lord, forgive me. And the Lord will forgive you, and he'll go up to the Father and say, wipe that one away. If He's forgiven. It's as simple as that. The blood of Jesus washes all, all sin. The righteous one, he is the anointing sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So for the whole world. That's where Calvinism falls down, because they don't get that. For the sins of the whole world. I won't go into that, but just if, you ever know, if you've ever heard of Calvinism, these scriptures just fly in the face of it. 
We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him. Now listen to this. The man who says, I know him. Remember Jesus says the reason that he, he's casting them away is because like, he never knew them. So the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So you've got to do what he commands, or you're a liar. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. So we must obey his word for his love to be made truly complete in us. This is how we know we are in him, whoever claims... To live in him must walk as Jesus walked. You just got to walk as Jesus walked if you claim to be in him. Now let's go to 1 John 3. Verse 2. It says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. So if you sin, you just break the law. So in saying this, under grace, you can still break the law. But if you break the law, it means you're not under grace, and that's my opinion. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. He appeared so that our sins would be removed and taken away. And in him, in Christ, is no sin. No one who lives in him, get these words, no one who lives in Christ continues to sin. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So if you're a Christian who's continuing to sin at a, a very, you know, great level of sin, you have not seen him or known him. And he doesn't know you either. Actually, in fact, he calls you a liar for confessing to be Christian. So these, these are scriptures we've got to take to heart. You know, this is not my own invention. This stuff is not my own. This is the scriptures. But these are the scriptures, because I sat in churches for years and years and years before... We, we went into ministry. I hardly ever heard anyone preach these verses. I don't think I did hear anyone put all these verses together in one sermon. I never heard them preach this. They preach the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, have faith in God, be healed in his name, give and you'll be prosperous, and he wants you to have the most amazing life here and now, etc. Who knows the, who knows the drill? But where's the heart teaching? Where's the truth teaching? Coming to the verses that are overlooked. Because this is a big book. You can overlook a lot. Who knows? Just to read it in a year is a challenge. So there's a lot in there. And it's very easy to spend time on the pet verses that you just always heard, that the preachers are always preaching. And they all come and preach the same verses. If you've been in church 20 years, you can just about... You know, same from memory without even practicing them from memory. Because you hear them preach that often, the same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing. But where's these verses getting preached? Where is this stuff getting brought out in the, in the, into light so that the people of God can grow 
They become all they're meant to be so they won't lose their salvation at the end when they stand before Jesus. I think I finished that one. Three. 1 John 5, 80. Let's go just a bit further on. Please read 1 John. Put it on your list of things to do. And not just once. Read it a few times. I remember a preacher years and years ago, he said to me about the book of Ephesians. He says, it roughly takes 20 minutes to read the book of Ephesians. And you, sh you should read it every day. So guess what? I read it every day. I read the whole book every day, just 20 minutes, 20 minutes. And I thought, oh, I can do 20 minutes. And you get to know the book of Ephesians pretty well. 1 John would probably be shorter than the book of Ephesians. So it's probably only 15 minutes. So just read it. But take your time. Don't rush through it to get through it quickly. Read these verses and dwell on them. 1 John 5, 18. He says, we know that anyone born of God... Say the next words, guys. Sins. Yeah, does not continue to sin. sin. Anyone that has been born of God does not continue to sin. But we know that if we do sin, we have one that we can go to who, who uh, defend us before the Father, right? So you've got to keep that in mind as well. But he says that if you're really born of God, you won't continue to sin. If you do, it's a, it's a rare event. Or it should be a rare event. It should become rarer and rarer as we get older in the faith. So anyone who's born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born, the one who was born of God keeps him safe. Hang on. One, I can't read this because it's going to get blurry on me. Born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one does not touch him. So if you, that's that's the way to get to the point where you're not under sin or you're not living in sin, is God keeps you safe and the evil one can't touch you. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of who? The evil one. The whole world is, on, is under the control. And I believe from my studies that a lot of the church is under the control of the evil one. And my goal as a church is to never be under the control of the evil one. And the interesting thing is, I, I see the evil one at work against this church all the time. We've had a lot of sickness in the last few months. Um, but also things like this. I put a video up on YouTube and it gets 50 views. Someone else puts a video up of garbage and gets 5 million views. So you see that, that there's a, a, a blocking that occurs. They don't mind me being on YouTube as long as someone watches the videos. You know, maybe you could do something for a choice. Sure. <laughs> get a breakthrough there. Get get past Satan's radar. Yes. But we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him. You need understanding to know him that is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Amen. Dear children, I love it. This is the last passage, and it's like it's a little add-on there. Oh, by the way, remember this, keep yourselves from idols. And I reckon that's brilliant how that's the last thing. Because you know what? We live in a world of idols, don't we? Where um, everyone has an idol of some kind. They're all like lured away to these idols. You know? What are these things? Little idols? You know? 
can't, people can't solve. You know, how many times, I'm sure you've all witnessed it, you go in a coffee shop and you, you know, you look around and I'll tap people and say, get, get a load of this and you look through. Everyone is like that. And they're all sitting together on their phone. We've seen young kids, remember, we were in Kokola. They're not talking, it's like they're sending texts to each other. We were in Kokola, remember in Henley Beach? And we are sitting there, and I think Alicia was with us, I'm not sure, but I said, look at this couple here. And they were sitting opposite ends to each other, and nearly the whole time they were there, that we were there, they hardly said a word to each other. They just looked at their idol. And a few times he did things like, oh, check this out. You know? That's it. That was their communication, and I'm looking at it. So I look into her face, she's real. And there was an interesting thing. What did I see? Oh, that's right. I saw this little bit of footage on, on YouTube. It was about a girl who does these videos. She eats food and makes it look delicious, right? And she eats this food. And it's in Japan, I think, or something like that. And all these people, she's got this massive following. And these people, what they do is they sit down to eat their dinner and they put her in front and they eat watching her. Right? Now, this isn't, that's not the end of it. They did a sociological experiment. They got all, um, all these guys, because it's this girl that's doing it, they got her in the flesh, and they put her right there on the table, and they all sat around to eat. But do you know what? When they were eating, none of them looked at the real one. They all had to have their phone there and with her on it. And she was sitting right there, and they didn't even look at her. They had to eat their food looking at the girl on the phone, even though she was in person. There's something wrong there. It's yes. <laughs> wrong. I remember another person said to me that, um, um, I'll, I'll mention her name because she used to actually, uh, I brought her to know Jesus, but she's since, I'm, I don't know where she stands exactly now, but Jane Bashir. Oh, yeah. And uh, I said to Jane, um, oh, she was telling me the story that she's got a, her two nie a niece and a nephew, and uh, she wanted to take them down to see the 12 apostles, you know. Mm. I wish they were going to see the 12 apostles here. It would have been better. But the one along the coastline, and she was saying, I'll take you to see them. And, and they go, and they sat on their phones on me like this. No, that's okay. So go, no, 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 you have to see it. You have to stand there and experience the ocean and the big cliffs. And, the, you know, it's an awe-inspiring thing to see that. No, 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 we're fine. We don't want to see that. No, we can see it here now. They, they think they've seen it because they've flicked a few photos, a few images. And that's the sad, the world's in a very sad place. That's a, that's a shocking thing. That's idol worship. Idol worship at, at its finest. And then you've got the you know, computers, you've got TVs. Um, as you know from the, the, the Hindu religion, they, they put their idols in their lounge room and they all sit around their idols. Now they're in the same location is a TV set and they all look to it like an idol. They, the way they think, the way they um, go about their day culturally is dictated to them from what they look on the TV. People aren't making up their own minds. I remember um, I've got piano students who come to me, and some of them are, you know, quite vocal little fellows, and they um, were trying to tell me how radical they are in the sense of the things that they believe, and they're, you know, going against the grain, and they're thinking they're, you know, um, what's this James Dean thing, um, uh, rebel without a cause, you know, they, that sort of, you know, they're trying to give you that sort of uh, experience when you're with them, that they, they're really radical against the culture. But when they're saying the things that they're radical about, it's exactly what the culture is feeding them. I said, that's not radical. 
You believe in gay rights? So does how many other people? That's not radical. You, you believe that a guy can wake up in the morning and say he's a girl? That's not radical. That's what you're getting fed, mate. You would never have thought that on your own. That's coming from the one who rules the world. Amen? You would never think that up. No, no one out there would be smart enough to think that up. You know? And I said, I'll tell you who's radical. Someone who follows Jesus Christ and lives for him in the face of everyone's, you know, not being uh, happy about it. <laughs> you know? Because that's radical. We're the radical ones. Right? We fly in the face of common culture. The hippies thought they were radical. But everyone was a hippie in the 60s. That's not radical when everyone's doing it. It's radical when you do something opposite to the, the common you know, status quo of the day. Amen? Interesting, isn't it? Oh, that girl, you know, having to eat. Imagine that. Oh, so I can't eat, I can't eat until I look at the girl eating and then I'll follow her lip movements and they chew at the same time. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah. This is, we still got years of technology advance. What are people going to be doing eventually? You're not going to do anything. You go in the shower, hold on, I'm going to put my phone just to start. You know what I mean? Have a shower with someone. And, you know, anyway, 1 John, 1, 1 Peter. Alright. 1 Peter 2.24. I'm nearly finished, guys. 1 Peter. 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. He bore our sins in his body so that we might die to sin. So we don't want to trample the cross underfoot, do we? We want to know that if he bore our sins in the body, that we would die to sins and live for righteousness. And I know everyone here understands this. By his wounds, you have been healed. Healed of sin. Sin. And then it says, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 1 Peter 4. Peter 4 verse 1 it says therefore since Christ suffered in his body arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin you know you have to suffer in the body and that can come in all forms if you're a drug addict you're taking heroin you know remember these videos will get online eventually and uh, if you're if you're um, Suffering from, from taking uh, hard drugs, heroin. You know you're going to suffer in your body to give up heroin? You're going to suffer. You've seen the movies where they show the withdrawals of someone, you know, who's um, on heroin. It's terrible what they have to go through. But you have to arm yourself with that attitude. You've got to be prepared to suffer. And you know what? That should be the first thing you teach a Christian who's a drug addict. Arm yourself with this attitude. You know... Be prepared to suffer for him. So when you go and suffer giving up that drug, you're doing it for the glory of God. And he'll be with you and he'll enable you. Arm yourself with that same attitude. You know, a, a lot of 
probably the greatest addiction out there, um, and it's been that way for many, many years, is pornography. Right? A lot of people, to break it, have to suffer in the body to break it. But he has suffered in his body, is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life in, with, uh, for hu evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness. A lot. How hard is it to kick alcohol? I think alcohol kills more people per year than uh, drugs. Is that right? I, I believe it's... Yeah, just about uh, all, nearly all drugs combined kill less people a year than alcohol. And alcohol is freely consumable and, and purchasable in the, in, in the shops. Orgies, I won't explain that one. Carousing and detestable idolatry. They think it is strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. Because we don't get involved in all the things that the world is promoting as fine, they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. <coughs> They'll have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Who's that? Jesus Christ. For this is, for this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded. You know, this scripture can be taken in context anywhere in history. Because we're all only, you know, years away from our own death. No one gets out of here alive unless you're raptured alive. No one gets out of here alive. The end of all things is near for each and every person. It says it's destined for man to die once and then after that face judgment. So the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Who knows when you fall into sin, it's very hard to pray. Yeah? When you do something that you know is sinful and you're like, I can't pray. Clear-minded, self-controlled. So you can pray. And above all, love each other deeply. So that's the command. We've all got to love each other deeply. You've got no choice, you've got to love me. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. We've got to be forgiving to each other because we all sin. Amen. And we've got to pray for each other. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever.